0: From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Bijan Steven, and you're listening to Eclipsed. Something about me is that I love playing video games. I grew up in suburban East Texas, and while playing outside was fun, it regularly got too hot to bike around the neighborhood or play around in the woods. And besides, there was a certain allure to staying inside and playing the Windows 95 Sonic the Hedgehog port, or getting just a little better at the original Rayman. A couple years later, I'd spend hours in front of the Nintendo GameCube my brother and I had saved up for, playing him in infinitely long matches of Super Smash Bros. Melee. It was the kind of thing that sparked my interest in video game history. I mean, where'd all this stuff even come from? In this episode, we're going to tackle some of that ancient stuff. The deep magic, as it were, that modern games rest on. Today, we're talking about Hammurabi, an educational game that's one of the earliest we know of. It's also one of the most important games in video game history. And there's really only one person qualified enough to help us unravel this game's complicated backstory. I'll
1: let her introduce herself. My name is Kate Willard. I research and write about forgotten geek history with a focus on video games and comic books. Video Mm -hmm. games don't have to tell stories. There are tons of great video games that don't tell stories at all. Like Tetris is a brilliant game, no story, you know. But I'm fascinated by the people who choose video games as a storytelling medium. And the early innovators that tried to tell stories using video games, or in this case, computer games.
0: After the break, we'll talk to Kate about why bookstores were a gamer's heaven. Welcome back. In the days before the internet, it was kind of hard to get your hands on games. In the early 70s, if you wanted to play a video game, you first had to go to the bookstore.
1: Before downloadable games and before like collections of games on disc, games were distributed via book, which is a weird concept to think about now. But basically there were books and booklets that would have the source code of a a computer game. And if you wanted to play that computer game, you manually typed in that source code yourself anytime you wanted to play it. You'd type it in and you'd run it. And then you'd have to type it in again later if you wanted to play it another day, you know?
0: And this is assuming you have access to a mainframe in the first place, which wasn't at all guaranteed. Computers were so expensive and so big they were hard to find
1: unless you're part of an institution, like a school or a business. And one of the more popular collections of games on paper, essentially, was a book called 101 Basic Computer Games. It was named that because the programming language was called basic. And one of the more popular games in there was a game called Hammurabi. And I think part of the reason for its popularity was uh, that a lot of the games in there were very simple and very, like, bare-bones. Whereas Hammurabi, it required a lot of strategy, but it also was more narrative. You were the assistant to the king, Hammurabi, who was asking you for advice. That was your role. Mm -hmm. And so... Hammurabi would be asking you what we should do, and you would uh, type in, you know, how many bushels of whatever. And I think that that narrative flavor, you know, is is part of what made it uh, stick out. You know, you're playing this role.
0: All of the games published in the book 101 Basic Computer Games weren't programmed by engineers. They were mostly created by students. And the story of how this book came to be is also pretty fascinating. A guy named David All had been working at a place called the Digital Equipment Corporation or DEC. It was an early computer company that sold microcomputers that weren't very micro at all. All put out a call to students to submit the games they created for school and made 101 BASIC out of what they submitted. Every student who
1: submitted got credit. But there was one game without a name attached. Hammurabi was different because that one It says that they don't know who the author is, it's just some game that's been floating around the Digital Equipment Corporation for, you know, maybe a decade. And can you give me an idea of what decade or year this was? So, yeah, 101 Basic Computer Games was published in 1973.
0: But Hammurabi was probably not an original it may have actually been a copy adapted from somebody else's idea.
1: So it turns out that an employee at DEC had created an earlier version of Hammurabi, which was called either King of Samaria or just the Summer Game, depending on what publication you saw it in. Because, you know, like I was saying before, these games were published in book or booklet form. So the official deck booklet called it King of Samaria. And it was a a very like bare bones version that had no narrative flavor at all. It was just the basics, like asking you questions and you enter the questions. And the only indication that you're playing a role at all is that the person talking to you, it indicates is named Hammurabi, because uh, in this version, you are not the assistant to a king named Hammurabi, you are the king and your assistant is named Hammurabi. Uh, it was designed by a dec- employee named Doug Diamond. He was a, a software support manager and he did not come up with this concept just out of thin air. He was uh, giving a talk at a university in Canada because he was an employee of the Canadian branch of DEC. And afterwards, a woman who he assumes was a student at the university, w- was talking to him about this simulation she'd heard about. Uh, I don't know what she called it. She might've called it the Sumerian game. She might've just called it the summer game. But but she was describing this game to him where you you play as the ruler of this city in summer and you have this steward who talks to you and you're running this city like being asked questions and answering how you'd run the city. And uh, he thought this would be a a great program to help like sell debt computers or whatever. So he, like, wrote up the program based on just this description.
0: This version of Hammurabi predates the one sourced from the school students. I know this might be a bit confusing, so let me pause for a second to name these two versions of the same game. I'll call the student-designed edition Hammurabi 2, which makes Doug Diamond's version Hammurabi 1, because chronologically, it came earlier. Anyway... Doug Diamond designed his version of Hammurabi after an influential conversation he had with a university student. And then he
1: published it for DEC. The king in the 101 basic version would say, you know, I beg to report and then tell you the report, which sounds like they're your servant. So it's kind of weird that whoever wrote the description Clearly, there was some confusion because historically Hammurabi was a king, but Doug Diment somehow had gotten confused and decided to name your steward Hammurabi, and I guess that must have confused David All when he was, uh, you know, for 101 Basic, he essentially found this Doug Diment version, but without, you know, knowing who the programmer was. And, you know, he must have been confused on like if it's Hammurabi you must be the assistant right but but <laughs> <laughs> he also added some flavor in that at the end of the game the steward grades you based on how you did i should read for you so so at the end of the game the responses are things like people would dearly like to see you assassinated but we all have our trivial problems <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. But uh, you know there's there's one bit of flavor I thought he created that it turns out recently I discovered I was actually incorrect because the the kind of the most famous line from Habarabi is that I beg to report that begins each cycle. and originally, in the official deck published version, that isn't there because the DEC published version is so bare bones, it's got no flavor text at all. But recently, we discovered an earlier Doug Diamond version that was uh, submitted to a group called DECUS, D-E-C-U-S. DECUS was kind of a volunteer group of people at schools and places that owned deck computers to like submit programs that they could collectively share with each other and things like that. This Deckus version, it's credited to Diamond, but it's got all the flavor text from the, the David All version like many years earlier. Let's
0: take a few steps back here. So we have three versions of this game. Hammurabi 2 was compiled by David All for his book 101 Basic Computer Games in the early 70s. It has a lot of narrative flavor to it. This is the one most people remember. But All probably didn't know who the real author was. Then, Kate found an earlier version, which we called Hammurabi 1. That was Doug Diamond's version based on the conversation he had with a student. It was nothing like the version in 101 Basic. It had no narrative at all, and the characters were flipped. Finally, Kate discovers a Hammurabi game created earlier than the two others. Call it Hammurabi Zero. She traced back this version to a volunteer research group, and this one had all the characters and all the right flavor text. Everything's sorted now, right? We've traced the chain back to its source. Except, as with most things with complicated origins, this end is not actually the end. To find the true ending of our story, we'll have to go back to the year 1964 in the small hamlet of Katona, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. Those three versions of the same game we talked about before Hammurabi 0, 1, and 2, well, as it turns out, they all seem to be copies of the same game, a game we haven't mentioned yet.
1: So before I was talking about, there were all these simulation games, and a guy at, at IBM named Bruce Moncrief, this IBM guy had this idea for like, what if we create a simulation for elementary school students? And so, because it was going to be for elementary school students, uh, they decided to get in touch with an actual elementary school teacher. So, they talked to this woman named Mabel Addis, who was a teacher at uh, Katona Elementary. And She liked the right place for her students, you know? So she was somebody who was very storytelling-minded. And so when they talked to her about trying to develop a computer simulation that could be worked used in a classroom, it seems like she used that that storytelling angle as part of her approach to it. Like, instead of just it being a computer talking to you and you answer questions, you know, she decided to cast you as a king and you were talking to a steward. You know, the steward was actually typing to you, and you were typing back to them. It's like you're playing this role. But unlike Hammurabi, you actually are given a name as part of your role. You're actually playing as the King Laduga, and you're talking to a steward named Urbaba, and you're running the city-state of Lagash, which is in Sumer.
0: So, okay, interesting. Um, so this was funded by IBM. They made the game for kids.
1: Yeah, it was made for elementary school students. And I, I should note that although Mabel did not program it herself, it was programmed by William McKay for IBM. She was essentially the scenario writer, you know? And it, in some ways, you could say that she was, she was kind of like the designer in the same way that Shigeru Miyamoto was like the designer of Donkey Kong, and then they had uh, they kind of outsourced the programming for Donkey Kong, right, right, of course. Uh, you know, you could say that Mabel was essentially the, the designer, right.
0: The funniest thing is like all of this sounds very familiar to me. Somebody who like grew up playing like for example Age of Empires two, um, and you know who's played a, a bit of Civ and the other simulation games. Like this is there's this is the direct line that
1: like this is the ancestor. Yeah, it feels like it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if Sid Meier actually played Hammurabi, you know, but Hammurabi was an extremely widespread and influential game. But like even David All himself, the editor of 101 Basic, who converted Hammurabi from Diamond's focal version, you know, he not only didn't know that Doug Diamond made the focal version, he didn't know there was a version before that. He didn't know that it existed before Deck. The, the Sumerian game, IBM's version, you know, just like, it became this, this obscurity that, that you'd only know about if you saw it mentioned in a few books about management simulation games or like back in 1966 life magazine actually did a very short article about it you know so if you happen to be a subscriber to life who read that magazine cover to cover you know you probably at some point read about the the sumerian game but I don't think the game was even named in there, which is the weirdest thing. You know, these simulation games, they had such basic names like just management game or pollution game or things like that. You know, like the names didn't even seem that important. So the life story was just about the kids playing as kings on computers. So we've talked around the game a lot. What was it? Have you played it? Well, so, that that is an interesting question. Uh, you cannot play the Sumerian game because we don't have the source code. All we have are printouts of playthroughs, kind of like the equivalent of watching a YouTube playthrough, yeah. except on paper. So you're just reading this playthrough, and that's how you get a sense how it's played the the source code is elusive <laughs> there's there's a fellow researcher of mine named devin Monins, who tried to track down the source code he actually was able to contact mabel addis's daughter in, in hopes of finding the source code and mabel's daughter actually did keep a bunch of documents. Unfortunately, she did not keep the source code, but she had several printouts of playthroughs. Uh, she didn't have the audio, but she had these slides and she also had, you know, some other documents, which Devon was able to get donated to the Strong Museum of Play mm-hmm. in Rochester, New York. The source code, we hope, will turn up one day, you know, like in a broom closet somewhere or something.
0: So this is the end, at least for now. I hope the source code is out there somewhere, in some cluttered closet or dusty file cabinet. But despite missing code, the game's lore lasted thanks to Mabel Addis's storytelling and design, which also made her one of the first female game designers. And her ideas sparked a whole new era of video games. Because Addis's Sumerian game is the common ancestor for a ton of different simulation games. It sets up genre conventions that anyone who plays something like Civ or Age of Empires might recognize. You make decisions based on economic information, and the whole thing is carried forward by a narrative that tells you your decisions are having an effect out in the world. I think that's part of the reason I love games myself. That feeling of agency. And that's why games like the Sumerian game and Hammurabi endure. Because you can change the world. At least right here, in this digital place you're just starting to care about. Special thanks to Kate Willard, an excellent game historian. If you enjoyed this story, you should also check out Kate's research on her website, acriticalhit.com. Eclipsed is a production of Campside Media. It's hosted by me, Bijan Steven, and written by Michael Canyon-Meyer. We're produced by Tanita Rahmani, Lane Gerbig, and Joe Hawthorne. Archival research by Caitlin Rathi. We're fact-checked by Alex Yablon. Our production assistant is Allison Haney. Our engineer is Garrett Tiedemann. Our theme song is by Doug Slaywin. Our executive producers are me, Bijan Steven, and Michael Canyon-Meyer. The executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Schayer, Adam Hoff, Josh Dean, and Vanessa Gregoriadis. If you want to say hello or what's up, drop us a line at eclipsed at campsidemedia.com or tweet at us at eclipsedpod. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me at Bichon Stephen on Twitter and Twitch, and on Instagram, I'm Bichon Cakes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.